Good evening, good evening. We're back. It's across the tracks. It's across the track. The 2020 edition. It is May, May the 18th. It is May the 18th, 2020, Monday. And uh, another exciting episode. Interesting discussion uh, for this episode. So, uh, as usual, I am Wayne. And I'm Steve. All right. So, how are you, my friend? Oh, doing great. Doing great. We just got a, a deluge of water here last night. We got about three inches of rain, and uh, sun came out just a little bit, cleared up, cut the grass, and I've just been doing housework, staying around, you know. Uh, uh, that's about it. How about yourself, man? Same, pretty much here. Still working from home. Uh, the quarantine continues. <laughs> and, uh, you know, lockdown, working from the basement. Uh, so went uh, went to work today, had an appointment this afternoon. I just got back, uh, you know, about maybe, maybe an hour ago. And, uh, you know, haven't had dinner yet, so I'll do that after the broadcast. But uh, most part, uh, still locked down and uh, maintaining our social distancing when we do venture out. And, uh, hey, that's how we're living these days. Yep, that's it. That yeah, is that's that's not going to be many changes in that for a while, so we'll see. And if, and if they do open things up, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical about getting out there and put my face everywhere, you know. So we, uh, we said the same thing, man. It's like, uh, you know what? If I want to take a trip, I think I'll get in my car and drive. <laughs> that way I ain't got to worry about social yep. distancing myself from on an airplane or whatnot. I can get in the car and drive. And, yeah. Uh, Take my time and uh, not have to worry about it because I think people are going to be leery uh, about just flocking back to places, man. I, I think they're they're underestimating the fear that the public still has because you cannot, um, you know, you prove that um, the person next to you is not a carrier uh, because of the lack of testing. So uh, I don't think people are just going to embrace this like they're thinking. So. Yeah, the people that are believers of the occupant, yep. you know, most of them, not shouldn't say most of them, some of them are going to be hard-headed enough to say that oh, it's not going to bother us. Just, just as we mentioned uh, last week when the people up in Wisconsin, you know, came down sick, you yep. know, like yep. 60, 60 or 70 of them uh, or was tested with the uh, – the virus because they made them go out there and, and, and vote in their primary yeah, uh, because, because of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be difficult. It is. It's going to be extremely difficult. And uh, I, for one, am not taking a chance <laughs> to go out here and just because I want to go to a restaurant or a theater. I ain't putting myself on the line for it. So we'll continue to do our thing and, uh, you know, social distance ourselves. And I said, if I really want to travel somewhere, I get in my car and drive. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not getting on no airplane no time soon. So hey, I see that, brother. I see I, I yeah. see a drive to Philadelphia this uh, August for a nephew's wedding. Okay. Yeah. I've got I've got extra plane plane uh, fares that I didn't use because of the virus, but uh, we may be taking a 12 hour drive up that way. Okay. So we'll you know, see. Yeah, in the summertime, nice drive across country. Take your time. Uh, I I could do that. I could do that. The weather <laughs> yeah. nice and uh, and take a nice drive. Yep, absolutely. I could see that. I could see that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. 
as we've been doing for the last couple of broadcasts, we've been opening the show uh, with a in memoriam, uh, memoriam type, um, you know, thing that we've been doing because uh, a lot of people have been passing lately. And so this broadcast is no different. Uh, there's a few folks we want to remember tonight who've passed on. And the first person we want to mention is the comedian Jerry Stiller. Uh, passed away um, earlier this week, I think toward the end of last week. Right. Um, Jerry Stiller passed away. Um, Half of that comedic duo, his wife, was Ann Mira. Uh, They were in uh, a lot of shows together back in the day, uh, comedy team. Um, They did a lot of routines together. And then Jerry Stiller was uh, a part of the Seinfeld cast. Uh, he was part of the King of King of Queens, I believe. So, uh, but yeah, Jerry Stiller, a comedic legend, um, as things go. So, any your remembrances of Jerry Stiller? Yeah, that, it goes back to what you said: is that they were a a, a duo. Uh, they remind me they were the real life Sally and Bud from the Dick Van Dyke show. Yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. I mean. They they were hit and miss on Dick Van Dyke. You know, they were a comedic couple. Yeah. And then uh, Stiller and Mira, they were the real live comedy team that um, that branched out and did their own thing. Yeah. Uh, Jerry was the straight man and uh, Mira, she was the one that got all the got all the, the jokes and the laughs in there. Yeah. So they yeah. were a great team together. And of course, you know, Ben Stiller, their, their son, he's pretty famous as being a actor, comedian yeah. type. So he learned from the best. Jerry Stiller, I, you know, I, I am maybe one of the only people in America or the world that has not watched Seinfeld. <laughs> you know, I, 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 for some I, reason, I, I for some reason, it doesn't seem like it's my type of humor yes i'm probably pretty sure it is i mean alex says he loves it he watches it all the time yeah. now i'll i'll watch curb the enthusiasm which you know larry david writes the seinfeld stuff right, right, my right. understanding right but for some reason i've just never watched seinfeld but i have watched the king of queens yeah king of queens i've, I've seen i've <laughs> seen him on there yeah and you no know, he's a funny man yeah. And uh, yeah. I think he was in his 90s when he when he passed last week. I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. And so uh, he's one and and Mira, she passed several years ago. Yep. And yep. so he's he's one of those one of those legends that that's moving on. You know, as we yep. get older, some of the people that were legends at the time or important at the time or TV personalities at the time, they've even gotten older, so they're starting That's to pass right. on. And, that is right. You know, uh, Jerry uh, Stiller, uh, being lost last week, uh, he was he was uh, uh, a part of that that Stiller and Mirror uh, comedy team that uh, held held court from the '60s through the '80s. Absolutely, absolutely. And as as you said, man, you know the the legends are passing. And uh, speaking of legends, we want to mention another one. And this this harkens back to our, I think, during our childhood, <laughs> a show that we watched, uh, at least I did. And uh, you probably watched it faithfully, too, back in the day was Leave it to Beaver. 
Yes, yes, sir. The Beaver. And today, um, the word uh, came down over the internet that uh, the gentleman who played Eddie Haskell, one of the most lovable characters <laughs> uh, on that show, uh, Ken Osmond, passed away today at the age of 76. So not that old. Yeah. But uh, Eddie Haskell's character on Leave it to Beaver, man, he he was a character because as I I told my daughter, we were talking about it today. I said, Eddie Haskell, always his character, he wanted to be the big man. And then when he got himself in a jam, Wally or somebody always <laughs> bailed him out <laughs> to get him out of trouble. <laughs> but uh, I, you have to give Eddie credit. Eddie had balls, man, because Eddie would try to do anything. He just would get himself into trouble a lot of times. But one of the most memorable characters, I think, from probably our childhood, the shows we watched growing up, he was one of them, one of those characters. It's hard to forget. Yeah. You know? So you're, you're he was the he was the sneaky. Yes. He was the sneaky snake. <laughs> yeah, always had something kind to say. Well, how are you, Mrs. Cleaver? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had such a wonderful time at school today and at the sock hop tonight. And then he's the guy that's out there passing out alcohol to everybody or <laughs> passing out something that's illegal. But yeah. when he when he comes yeah. around parents, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's the guy that's all sweet. Oh, Eddie, we like Eddie Haskell. Yeah. He was just a con man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think I think Ward probably saw through him. I think the parents I think the parents saw through Eddie's yeah. BS. Okay, <laughs> saw through Eddie's BS. But you know, uh, Eddie was a friend of Wally's, and you know they they like okay, he's your friend. But uh, and then Wally sort of knew too that like man, this guy's a this guy. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and Beaver just couldn't stand him a lot of time. So uh, one he's of the, always pump. He's always punking Beaver. Punking Beaver, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but truly a memorable character, man. And uh, so we want to, uh, as has been the norm on the Across the Tracks podcast, we want to remember uh, Jerry Stiller and Ken Osmond, aka Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver. Rest in peace to both those fine gentlemen. Yes, yeah. And uh, one more thing, not necessarily a little different twist, but we want to recognize one of the towers of the civil rights struggle. Um, on, on tomorrow, May the 19th, would have been the 95th birthday of Malcolm X. And so a uh, towering figure of the civil rights era, um, you know, got involved with the Nation of Islam, turned his life around in prison, uh, did so much for the struggle of the black man in this country. And, um, you know, I, you can't say enough about Malcolm X. And I want to throw out a plug. If you haven't had a chance, if you check out the podcast, you hear us talking about this. If you have not had a chance to see the documentary on Netflix, it's entitled Who Killed Malcolm X? If you have not had a chance to view that documentary, I highly encourage you to do so. It is eye-opening, and it is very educational. It gives you a lot of background of his life and then what caused uh, his demise. And so uh, I'm going to watch it again based upon some information I heard today. I'm going to watch it again. I've watched it like twice, so I'm going to watch it again. But uh, tomorrow would have been his 95th birthday had he lived. 
so yeah, we've talked about Malcolm before on the podcast, but any other reflections you'd like to add concerning Malcolm X? No, it, I, you know, the big thing, and this is what I taught my students, and we've talked about this before, of course, this is a reminder, is that as Malcolm X, he was upright and, and, and righteous and stood for the idea of that we can, and black people can improve themselves and we don't have to pander or take handouts. We can create our own. And so the other thing is that, as I told my students, it said, as Malcolm Little, he was a criminal. Once he got out of prison and he was a member of the Nation of Islam, he didn't commit any crimes. So what people think is that they saw this person who was a petty thief, uh, you know, he sold, you know, dope and all that stuff prior to going to prison, but after prison, after prison, he wasn't the same person. So it was a nation of Islam that kind of rehabilitated him. And he had to take it upon himself to make that change. And he did. Right, right. So before we transition to the topics for now, I I want to throw out a question to you. And I'd like I'd like to hear your input on it. And then uh, and then I'd like to offer some input as well. But why do you think Malcolm was was killed. Why do you think Malcolm was killed? Why did Malcolm have to die? Personally, I think that he was going to expose uh, Elijah Muhammad for being the hypocrite that he was. And by doing so, they had to silence him. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that once they silenced him by, you know, putting that you can't speak and he created his own um sect of the of of Islam that they didn't want him to draw more people to his mosque oh, than 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 the than Elijah Muhammad's that were in New Jersey or the New York area and so on. So I think Personally, I think that's what they did is that he had become powerful enough and his voice was so well known is that um, they thought that he would basically lead the people that followed him to the thing that they did not want. And that was also uh, the fact that he was starting to conform to the idea that black folks and white folks can live together and it doesn't have to be a hard separation of the two. So he he came around to Martin Luther King's thinking of the idea that you don't have to have separate everything. Black folks have theirs and white folks has his. And a lot of that happened as he made his trek to Mecca. And when he saw, you know, Muslims of all shades making their hajj. Right, right. That's my thoughts. Yeah. And I I agree. I think the fact that, you know, he exposed Elijah Muhammad, uh, that, okay, you got to go. And I think the government had something to do with Malcolm uh, being killed. I I, I just like Martin Luther King's assassin. I think the government had a hand in that. 
And I think the fact that, okay, yeah, Malcolm outed Elijah Muhammad, put, put him on blast, so to speak. But Malcolm was becoming international and he was calling attention to the hypocrisy of America. And Malcolm was well known all over the world. I mean, he was embraced by all these countries overseas. And I don't think the United States liked that. Mm -hmm. And so they had a hand in or they had something like we got to shut this guy down. Because he has won the power to actually, you know what, he might be the guy to bring these black people together, not just in America, but around the world. And, and I think the U.S., like, no, we can't have that. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate that people, you know, viewed him as such a threat that you got to kill this guy. Yep. And uh, unfortunate. So, um, you Speaking know, of threats, I mean— has much changed since 1965, and that's the thing. Not much has changed, and that I mean, a good segue. That is yeah. a good segue, my friend. Yeah, because the 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 idea that this single guy threatened the government or threatened right. the nation of Islam or whatever, right. then we've had to deal with that our entire time right. in this right. country. Right, right. You know, you go you go back to the beginning of slavery here and something happens and it's the, the, they're threatening us yeah. you know when a lot of that is is within their mind of some folks okay yeah. Yeah. and so nothing's really changed from you know 1619 <laughs> to 2019 nope Nothing has changed. And uh, I, I think if Malcolm were alive, if Martin Luther King was still alive, um, the Kennedy brothers, all the people who were fighting for the rights of the disadvantaged minority, poor people, they would still be out there, man, in the street calling, um, calling out the hypocrisy of this country, man. When it comes to people of color and the poor, they would still be calling out the hypocrisy of this country. Yeah. So Malcolm was killed because he was viewed as a threat. And to segue into the well, top. Let me, let me clarify one thing. I, I said yeah. nothing has changed. Right. Things have changed. But when it comes to the idea that, um, Black folks are threatening or are threat. That attitude has not changed. Yes, yes. We we black folks have made huge steps towards, you know, voting rights, independence, becoming business people, stepping in all all aspects of society. You know, from the education to the corporate ladder to the military or whatnot. But the idea of us threatening people is still there. And yeah. usually what happens is that there's something that negatives is a direct result of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. hist history is nothing but causes and effects. Absolutely. And so, yeah, let's, let's segue into the next, so, the next thing, our, our main topics. For right. Today. So, so, so to segue, and again, uh, rest in power, brother Malcolm, uh, on his 95th birthday tomorrow, May 19th, rest in power. Uh, so the threatening aspect of, uh, of how black, and it's, it's primarily black men. We want to talk about 
how black men in this country, and there's a couple of instances, are viewed as threatening or as, you know, where are we, why are we in certain places as though we don't have a right to belong where we're supposed to be? Two instances came um, to my attention here uh, last week. One, a black professor was driving through Vermont. He had New York plates on his car. He was pulled over by two guys in pickup trucks. And he thought that, hey, maybe these guys need some assistance or something. So he pulls over, rolls down his window to say, hey, can I help you gentlemen with something? No, that's not what they wanted. They told him in no uncertain terms, you are not welcome in Vermont. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are not welcome in Vermont. This is 2020, man. And, and you got two white guys in a pickup truck, right? And you're going to tell this guy, you're not welcome here. So that's one instance. Like, you know, he's a professor. Not that he was, I don't think he was a professor at Dartmouth College, which I, which I think is in Vermont. Uh, did, did they, New York? Hampshire. New Hampshire, okay. Yeah. Um, he was a professor, and it didn't say whether he was a professor at a school in Vermont. He just happened to be in Vermont. But he was told by these two white men, you better get out of here because you don't belong. You're not wanted in Vermont. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, this is crazy. So, get out of town before it gets dark. Get out of town before sundown. <laughs> town thing, right, right? Yeah. And so the next case was this brother. He was a delivery driver. And he had uh, yeah. some goods to this gated community in Oklahoma City. As he's leaving the area, this white owner of the HOA, president of the HOA, blocked him in so he couldn't get out. And instead of like, hey, uh, can I help you with that? No. The question is asked, like, what are you doing here? How did you get the key code to get into this area? Yeah, yeah. And the guy's like, I'm doing my job. I made a delivery. So that's not good enough for him. He calls for backup. So this other white guy shows up. It's like, look, we want to know what you're doing here. How did you get the code to get into this blah, blah, blah? And he's like, I'm not telling you nothing. I made a delivery. I want to leave. But they got him blocked in so he can't leave. Yeah, has his car in front of his truck. Right. So it's not until the customer who he delivered the goods to came and said, what the heck's going on? This guy made a delivery here. You know? And, I mean, it's like... What is it, man? What What is it about us that makes us appear threatening to people? What is that? I, I cannot put my finger on it. Why are we viewed as a threat? I'm, I'm open, man, to whatever your thoughts may be. <laughs> these two instances show that we're still catching hell in America over stupid stuff. If it's, if it's not uh, driving while black, barbecuing while black, going to the beach while black, you can't deliver furniture while black, you can't drive as an educated man in this country with different plates on you, you can't drive in another state and, and be asked, what are you doing here? So I'm, I'm open, man. What, what are your thoughts? We have gone backwards. I'd say since... 1994, 1995, the the idea of civil rights has been has taken a back seat. You know, they talk about hyper partisanship and all of that. 
it's gotten to a point now that people have no sense of decency. The current occupant at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, I hate to blame everything on him, but he has not has condoned this attitude. And since he's not saying, no, this is wrong, people are being emboldened to do more things like that, test you, to challenge you. And and some of these states have passed these uh, self-defense or stand your ground, stand your ground and all of that. That's more than anything. This is an excuse for us to basically take the law into our own hands and it's given it's given us more power to do what we think. So now the fact that it, it used to be that we only heard about a lot of black on black crime in the inner cities and so on. Now we've got this idea that I can be my own vigilante. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, this Second Amendment, we've taken that now to say that, hell, I'm going to shoot first and then ask questions later. Well, I, I, I want to throw this throw this your way. And I, I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm going to let it be what it's going to be. You mentioned the Second Amendment. I do not believe that the Second Amendment applies to black people in this country. I'm sorry. Oh, it never has. Uh, the Second Amendment means nothing to black Americans in this country. And we've got too many instances that bear truth to that. Philando Castile, Minnesota, he has a permit to carry a concealed weapon. The officer asked him, uh, you know, let me see your registration. He tells the officer, hey, I got a weapon. I got a license. He's pulling out to show the dude his license and he gets killed. Where is his second? amendment? He, he's, he's a Second Amendment. Um, he's, he's concealed carry under the Second Amendment. Don't apply to him because he's dead. The um, the protesters in a lot of these cities protesting, you know, because they want things to open up. I guarantee you if a lot of brothers showed up at a lot of these protests with AR-15s and AK-47s and Glock 9, 10s, whatever, holy hell would break loose. Holy hell would break loose. And I, I am convinced the Second Amendment, it, it, like you say, it has never applied to black people. It has never applied to black people. And so, um, you know, this the stand your ground stuff. Man, it, it means nothing as where as far as where we're concerned, because too many instances have been shown where black people have been shot down and all either I have feared for my life or they were a threat to me and I'm standing my ground. I mean, and nothing's done. You know, no That's justice. That's the excuse. That's yeah. the excuse. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, anybody can say I felt threatened. Right. Right. You know, just as we were talking earlier, you know, I feel threatened. That's an excuse. Right. To do harm to someone else. I felt threatened. And I mean, if you go back and you look at recent history, everybody, not everybody, most of the people that said that they've been threatened has gotten off. And 
yeah. in particular, police officers. Yeah. You know, there's there's no justification for that. Let's go back. Let's go back to before using guns. Let's go back to Rodney King. Yep. Beat the hell out of Rodney King. Police officers yep. got off. Yep. We got the whole thing on video. Yeah, and I mean, still were acquitted. Still were acquitted. Right. And so I, you know, we we talked about Malcolm earlier. There was something that Malcolm said. We are not violent unless you are violent toward us. Towards us. Toward us. And if 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 black folks aren't catching hell in this country, I don't know. I don't know what I mean. We're getting shot. We're getting harassed. We're getting, um, you know, accused of things that like, are you kidding me? You know, our kids are getting beat up in schools. You got police in schools that are beating up our kids. I mean, I mean, what at what point do black people say enough is enough? And we do start taking matters in our own hands. Like I said, holy hell would break loose in this country. Yeah, but go back to the 1960s when the Black Panthers said yeah. that we have the Second Amendment rights. Right. You know, and they imagine this. They went to the Capitol building with weapons. Yeah. And then suddenly the governor of California said that no longer can they be holding having right. weapons like right. that. Right. Right. Now, that what happened to the Second Amendment. Right. Right. The the Second Amendment, like you said, it has never applied to us. And you mentioned the Black Panthers. Fred Hampton gunned down in his apartment. Fred Hampton wasn't bothering anybody. No. Fred Hampton was just out there advocating for the rights of black people in Chicago. He's gunned down in his apartment for no reason other than being vocal about the rights of black people. And so fast forward 2020, we got Mr. Ahmad, Aubrey Ahmad, you know, He's viewed as a threat. He looks like a burglary suspect. So let's go. Let's go chase him down. And and you know, I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? This guy's out jogging, and it it, it made me think of you, my friend, because I know you like to run. And I pray for you, my brother. I pray for you, man, because you're out there running in them streets, man. And I hope nothing. No one accuses you of being in some place where you shouldn't be and they, you know, do you bodily harm or something, man. I, I would hate for that to happen. Hey, let me tell you, man, every <laughs> time I go out, I think I think that every time I go out. I mean, I think the the, the area that I run all the time, people have seen me so much. OK, OK. They, they know, you know. I mean, I've run everywhere on the south side of Indianapolis. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I run six or seven days a week. Okay. You know, at a, a, at a certain time. You're a familiar fixture in the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, there goes Mr. J I mean, I, I, my, my uh, uh, orthodontics, my, my dentist, uh, hygienist said, oh, yeah, I saw you on the way to work this morning when you were out running on Stop 11. Okay. I, I saw you running on Harding Street, or I saw you over at Glens Valley. I saw. I mean, I'm. I, you know, I run four miles, six miles, ten miles. You know, I have routes all over the place, and I do it so much. Now, the thing that that I I really get concerned about is that I I still continue to run, even when we go out of town. Yeah, because I know so, I know you ran here one day when you guys came out to visit, and yeah. I. Think about it at the time. <laughs> I'm like, 
oh, they're going to see an unfamiliar black man running running on these streets. And what the hell would happen? That's the only time, Wayne, the only time <laughs> that I run on sidewalks is when I'm in some other city. But around Indianapolis, I run on the streets themselves. But like when I ran at your house when we were visiting, you know, I stayed on the sidewalks and yeah. I, I, ran, I ran about three miles, you know, okay. I'm, around I'm your sure. neighborhood. Yeah, when sure. I go visit Stephanie, I yeah. stay on the sidewalks. I'm going to yeah. go down to, you know, this street. I'm going to hang a left and hang another left and come on back. Yeah. But sure. I don't go too far. Yeah, I'm sure people were wondering, like, who is that black guy running through? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's stuff like that, man. It's like we got a fear for ourselves, man. And I'm sure Mr. Ahmad, Aubrey Ahmad, when he was running out for a jog, he was not expecting to have his life taken by two idiots thinking he don't belong somewhere or he looks like a thief, whatever. Mm-hmm. And And it's like. You know, um, and this, you know, gives us a chance to segue into the next story. But the fact that, you know, his life was taken because he was viewed as a threat by by two idiots segues into the next topic, which is sort of in our backyard. Uh, We live in E-Town. We made many trips to Louisville. We know Louisville pretty, pretty good growing up there and whatnot. But Louisville has changed over the years. But the next story um, we want to talk about um, is the um, uh, Miss Brianna Taylor. She was an EMT there in Louisville, killed in her own apartment uh, because of um, uh, supposedly uh, no knock warrant being served uh, by the Louisville police. Um, no drugs were found. The individual supposedly they were looking for had already been detained. And the boyfriend, her boyfriend, um, you know, heard somebody, what he thought was somebody breaking in the apartment in the dead of night. He's a licensed gun carrier. Mm-hmm. He comes downstairs and shoots at who he perceives as somebody breaking into his domicile. And so the police just blindly start shooting into the house and kill Miss uh, Taylor. Now, he's arrested for attempted murder. For murder, yeah. For murder. So, I want to compare and contrast these two stories. Mr. Walker being arrested for murder. He's in his house defending himself against what he perceived as a burglar. Mr. Ahmad is and running, has and has a license as a license. Mr. Ahmad is out running. He's accosted by two individuals in a pickup truck with guns. And he has to defend himself from these two idiots, but they kill him. They are not arrested. Mr. Walker is arrested immediately for defending himself. So you tell me what's wrong with this picture. What's wrong with this picture? The white dudes, they don't get arrested. You know, Mr. Aubrey's defending himself from their attack. The people who kill him, they went back home. They were free for, what, a couple of weeks before the cops even did anything. A couple of months. A couple of months. It happened in February. Mr. Walker is arrested on the spot for for attempted murder, defending his own turf. So what are black people supposed to think in this country? What are we supposed to think? That's what I what what does America want us to think? (laughs) Stand your ground. Uh, no, you don't stand your ground. Yeah, Mr. Walker was standing his ground. 
<laughs> you tell me anybody hears somebody breaking in their, their house at one or two o'clock in the morning, you're dead asleep in your bed, and you hear somebody breaking down your door, what are you going to do? You're going to like, you don't know, especially when you don't tell me who you are. Yep. So he had to me, hey, I'm defending my home, but you're going to arrest me for murder, attempted murder. I mean, give me a break. I would do the same thing. I mean. And anybody would because you don't, you don't know. Yeah. Somebody comes up. Somebody comes up those stairs. You know, they're going to meet something. I have I have something that's sitting right by my bedside. <laughs> and then I have something I call a, a, a redecorator. That's sitting in the closet. <laughs> and, and I told Lynn, I said, all you have to do is grab the redecorator and just point it in a direction and pull the trigger. Yeah. It's gonna hit something. Yeah. Some of those yeah. little some of those little steel balls are gonna hit <laughs> something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if you come and come to the house, you know, and you break into the house and you're gonna be met. That's right. You and know, the it, Second it, Amendment, yes. Yeah. You know, I'm a gun. I'm a gun owner. You are. You are. I, ex- right. You I are, have several ga- several guns. You are exercising your right as a United States citizen under the Second Amendment. But we've seen time and time again where the Second Amendment is toothless when it comes to black people and our rights to, to be gun owners or what occurs with that weapon. And the Second Amendment don't apply to us. The Second Amendment is for them. Right. Not us. Right. So. What what are, what are we supposed to do in this country, man? What are what are what are black people supposed to do in this country? Because we're harassed on every turn, we're told we don't belong places. I mean, I, some days, man, you don't want to freaking get up and live. You don't because it's a hassle, man, just to be black in this country. Well, I mean, or to be brown. To be brown, black or brown, it is a hassle. Yeah, it is a hassle. And, man. and as as of now. It's I'm I'm going to use this term, but, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali said this, you know, why am I going to go over to Vietnam and fight the yellow man? Help to be Asian in America today, to be Chinese in America today. There are people that are after you to be black, brown or yellow or Asian. You know, it's 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 not it's not a civil place for us in some parts of this country Absolutely. and some of the attitudes that people has developed. Yeah. And I think a lot of these attitudes developed around 1995 or so is when things started to go haywire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right now we see it. Oh, absolutely. You know? absolutely and man. everybody else sees it and, but nobody does anything about it. Everybody. And when you have the top, when you have the top of the, Justice Department that is telling a criminal we're going to let you go. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. that's sending a signal. Yeah. That yeah. these laws aren't right for everybody. Oh, it, I pled. He's pled guilty to something. Right. We're going <laughs> to ignore that. Right. We're going to ignore that. Right. We're going to drop the case. Right. How many cases have they dropped on? On, on on other people? None that I know. No, no. I don't know of any, for example, I, what, what's my man? He was the mayor of Detroit. Uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, I think. He, he was the mayor of Detroit. He's still in prison right now. 
Um, he embezzled some funds or something like that or whatnot in prison right now. I don't see the current occupant giving him a pardon. I don't see him granting him a pardon. No. I mean, it's like all these people that are getting over on the justice system, they don't look like us. They don't look like you and me or any of our Asian brothers or sisters or Hispanic brothers or sisters. They don't look like any of us. It's all these businessmen, these these other highfalutin people that they they truly feel the law don't apply to me. The law don't apply to me. And when you have the attorney general of the occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, that's his personal lawyer, doing all this dirty work on his behalf, what is the average citizen supposed to think? The average citizen thinks, if you're of a certain persuasion, I know I'm screwed. Don't don't let me. I don't want any part of the criminal justice system because I know I'm screwed. Yeah, no kidding. I'm screwed, and and that's what we need to be, you know, telling our young people that you don't want to get involved with the criminal justice system because the odds are stacked against you. We have proof, as they say, we have the receipts to back it up, and you see it every day in this country. So I, I'm I'm tired, man. I'm I'm be honest with you. I am tired. I am tired of being black. I am tired of being black. I'm tired of people thinking that, you know, I'm a threat, you're a threat, my nephews are a threat, my brothers are a threat, my my friends, you know, educated black men that I've served with in the military, worked with in corporate America, they're automatically viewed as a threat and you know nothing about us. So I, I'm I'm just like man I'm I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Guess what, Wayne? I'm you done. Can't, you can't change. <laughs> you you always gonna be black. I'm, and that's what I you tell. You may be tired of being black. I may be tired of being black. <laughs> you may be tired of being black. But we ain't changing. We are I mean, not. I guess we can take some something and lighten our pigment. No. You know, and 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 no. gray out. Like Michael Jackson did, yeah. because he had vitiligo, but uh, it's not gonna change. No, no. You we, know, there's we, something that's gonna, they're gonna they're gonna stereotype us anyway. Yeah. You know, but it's it's frustrating that we have to constantly deal with these things. Yeah. All the time, it's it's very yeah. frustrating. Yeah. So uh, I want to throw in some before we get to our last topic. Uh, which is another uh, Kentucky thing we want to talk about tonight before we uh, finish up. But a couple of years back, uh, when uh, when Danny was in college, and I might have told you this story, man. She was in college, and she was a sophomore at the time. And so um, they asked parents of, of sophomores, juniors, whatnot, if we would host send-off parties for the kids that were going to be freshmen uh, in college at the local college here, if we would host a send-off party for them. And we said, yeah, we, we, we'll host a couple of send-off parties for you. And um, we did. We had the parties here in our house. And you've been to our house. You know, we had the party down in the basement. Cynthia prepared the food upstairs, and we had tables set up down in our basement so folks could mingle and, and do finger foods, that type of thing. So Cynthia's upstairs preparing food. I'm downstairs greeting the guests, mingling with the guests, whatnot. Doorbell rings. Cynthia's busy. I go upstairs to answer the door. It's a white guy, his wife, and their daughter come to the send-off party. 
The wife says, oh, hey, good good afternoon. How are you? Uh, I'm so-and-so. This is my daughter. We're so glad you hosted this party. I say, yeah, it's our pleasure. Come on in. Her husband follows her and stops at the door and asks me point blank, do you live here? I'm like, what? He said, yeah, do you live here? I'm like, yeah, I live here. It's my house. <laughs> You're the butler. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he literally asked, and this was 20, 2015, 2015. He's asking me, do I live here in my house? Okay. So I said, yeah, I live here. Uh, the party's downstairs. You, I'll show you how to get in that booth. Go down the stairs. Segway about 30 minutes later, doorbell rings again. This time, Cynthia goes to the door. White couple, son, wife, cordial, blah, blah, blah. The husband again asked Cynthia, do you live here? Twice in one day. Twice in one day. We felt like, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, what, what are you saying to us? Yeah, you guys live in a pretty bad neighborhood. I must tell yeah. the audience. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What, just what kidding. are you doing in this neighborhood? <laughs> What are you doing in this neighborhood, living in this house of this of this guy? What are you doing here? That's you the key. Honestly, just you, like the just like that driver of the delivery truck. What yeah. are you doing living in this neighborhood? Right. What, what are you doing delivering in this neighborhood? Absolutely. We felt like, are you kidding me? This is 2014, 2015. You're that stupid. That you're going to ask somebody, you're coming to somebody's house, and you're going to ask them, do they live here? Blatant disrespect. He thought nothing of it. Neither one of them. Cynthia's like, he looked at me like, and Cynthia's like, I wanted to punch his freaking lights out. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) they were thinking that, number one, you're black and you can't afford the house that you live in. That's probably, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the bottom. They're probably looking like, damn, these are black people. They live in a house like this? Yeah. This can't be their house. But if, if, if you think that, you be, be, be smart enough to keep it to yourself. Don't be stupid enough to say it. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm like, man, these people are stupid, man. Every, every day I'm surprised at the stupidity of some folks here in this country who think they are better than we are. Well, I, Wayne, I, I, it's, <laughs> it's, I think it's so normal for them to be amongst what they consider their own, you know, because they're whatever social economic um, lifestyle that they live and they don't expect black folks to have the same or equal social economic background as them. So what they see on TV and hear on the radio is that, Black folks can't live in a house or a neighborhood that you live in. So yeah. they're not expecting it. So when they open the door and they see, like, what, what, what should I say? What, this is, this is a black, this you, you is a black person. You, you know what you say? Just like I would say if I went to his house. Hey, sir, how are you? We're here for the party. Uh, you have a lovely home. Thank you for having us. That's what I would say. You know what I'm but, saying? But, but Wayne, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how y- your parents, you know, Miss Norma Jean and Mr. Charlie taught you. And it's just common sense. 
<laughs> but, we, you know, we grew up in a integrated school system. Wow. Okay. So we've always been around different people. And so what I've seen, even in Indianapolis, moving to Indianapolis, I found out real quick that the city is divided into certain little pods. And on the south side of Indianapolis, you're not supposed to be black and live on the south side. Mm -hmm. Period. Okay. You can live on the east side. You can live on the west side. But you're not supposed to be black and live on the south side. And hell, really, you're not supposed to live on the north side of town. Wow. Okay. And so when they started busing in, in, in Indiana or in, in Indianapolis in 1981, what, what do we see? We started seeing a white flight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So people moved, moved further south. They moved into Johnson County, which is, you know, a stone's throw from where we live. We live on the far south side. And so recently, within the past 10 or 12 years, we've had this huge influx of people from Miramar, Burma. And so uh, white folks are moving further south. You know, we don't want our kids to go to school with them. Hell, Lynn had a, a colleague at the elementary school she taught uh, taught at for almost 30 years, said that they're moving out of our township to move to Center Grove because the parent says, well, we don't think that our kids can get along with their kids because of the language barrier, because they're, they're chin kids and they'd get along better with white kids. Wow. And Lynn jumped down the, the woman's throat and said, what do you, what the hell do you mean by saying that? You think that brown people aren't going to move to Center Grove? Yeah. You think yeah. that your kids can't have anything? Kids are kids. When, if, if they're in kindergarten together, by the time they get to second right. grade, they're going to know English. Right. What do you right. mean? You throw a soccer ball out there, they're going to kick the damn soccer ball around. Right. That's right. Especially chin kids because soccer is their main sport. Right. Kids, okay? kids do not care, man. So, kids. yeah, going back going back to, you know, I, I kind of got off track there. Those people showing up at your house were thinking that you can't afford this house. I mean, I'm surprised to see a black man and a black woman in this house. Right. <laughs> so they just they just spat out what they always probably have learned. Yep. They've always lived in a in a, a group that's similar to them, so they haven't had the experiences to deal with other folks and didn't expect other folks to have, other black folks to have nice homes because yep. that's not expected. Of. We're supposed to be yep. subservient. Right. We're supposed right. to be downtrodden. We're right. supposed to be, you know, living in the slums, living in the ghetto and so on. And it right. surprised them. Right. And, and, and what, 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 what was so odd about it was it wasn't the women, it was the white men that's, that made these comments both to my wife and to me, it was, it was two different white men. It wasn't the women. How many white women has shot down innocent black men? Yeah, yeah. It it just it there you go. Day, so to speak. It ruined it ruined our day putting on this event. And we never said anything to Danny about it. I don't think to this day. I don't I don't think Cynthia ever mentioned it to her, you know. But it's just like, man, the stupidity. It was just like, are you kidding me? You know, it's 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 
It's one of those things, man, because, you know, like I said, I, we grew up on the south. We, we didn't grow up on the south side. Our kids grew up on the south side. Mm-hmm. And white folks sometimes are uncomfortable, well, talking to black folks. I mean, they want to get comfortable, yeah. but they don't. And here, here's yeah. two examples. All right. Alex and Stephanie both were in athletics. I mean, I coach football and, you know, I rarely got a chance to see him play like uh, Little League football games because I was always, you know, breaking down film on Saturdays. They played their games on Saturdays. okay? and so every now and then they would play over at the high school on our practice fields. Well, one time I had a little break going on and I came out of the coach's office and went out to the field because Alex was playing that day. Yeah. Well. Went out there and Lynn was sitting there with a lawn chair and watching the game and whatnot. And um, a, a parent came up to me and says, oh, how you doing, Coach Johnson? I say, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah. He goes, uh, your son, play, you got a, a son playing out here? I go, yeah. He goes, well, which one is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was only one black kid on the team. I said, um. I think he's number 26. <laughs> and that was with Alex. With Stephanie, was at a volleyball match, right? Wow. And so I'm at this volleyball match, and I'm sitting in the stands, and she's out there playing, and he goes, oh, you got a daughter playing volleyball? Yeah. She goes, he goes, uh, which one is she? I said, and I paused and I looked, kind of looked around and went, um, uh, number 15. Wow. So it's 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 the idea that they're uncomfortable with that. Okay, yeah. black yeah. folks, we've always been comfortable about talking about race because we've always had to deal with race. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and and some some white people, not all white people, some white people aren't used to talking about race because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so when they're uncomfortable, they come up with stupid shit to say. <laughs> right. I have to die. I know we gotta get to the last topic, <laughs> but here's 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 another good example, right? So our daughter, for whatever reason, man, she got into ice skating. Now you you know figure skating. You don't see a lot of black folks in figure skating, but my daughter wanted to figure skate, so we did. So this particular day. Uh, she had a morning practice, and Cynthia took her to practice at the rink. She's the only black girl in the freaking ice rink. And the same thing, this lady comes over and asks Cynthia, oh, you've got a daughter out here skating? <laughs> <laughs> and Cynthia's like, excuse me? She's like, yeah, you, you have a daughter ice skating? I, I can imagine Cynthia's face. I mean, and, and Cynthia's like... <laughs> There's the only one black girl in the whole wake, and I'm the only black parent sitting here in this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, I, just like, man, I tell you, man, I knew tonight this broadcast was fire, <laughs> man, because I, I'm just tired, man. I'm tired, I'm tired. But like you say, we can't change. We always gonna be black. We always gonna be black. <laughs> we gotta keep trucking. We just gotta find the inner strength to keep trucking, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it is hard, man. When you when you see some of the stupid stuff that went on last week, 
we're still being gunned down by police, people taking the law in their own hands. Uh, It's it's depressing, man. It is depressing. It is extremely depressing. So um, our last topic for tonight. We're back in our backyard, and we want to talk about a subject that we've talked about on the broadcast before. I think you call him Yodel the Turtle, (laughs) (laughs) and he's also known as Moscow Mitch. Uh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, senator from your great state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth, made a comment last week about our forever president, Barack Obama, that he should have kept his mouth shut when um, the president, the former president, made some remarks about how he felt the coronavirus pandemic was being managed. Now, he didn't call anybody out by name, but if you can read between the lines, you knew what, what he was talking about. But he didn't just call anybody by name. But Mitch McConnell said he should keep his mouth shut. It's classless for him to talk about the current president. Yeah, because he said that how the current occupant is handling the pandemic is chaotic. Yes, yes. And so, of course, Twitter went ballistic, lighting him up, saying, you, you're calling former President Obama classless? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, you, you don't see any of the classless crap that the current occupant has done, but you see here that Obama's he's he's acting classless. I mean, dude, you need to get a grip, man. You need to get a grip. And he he is another one of these people, man. I hope and I pray to God that Amy McGrath wins his seat. I hope she wins his seat. So I all I can with that. You got to vote. You got to vote this fool out of office, man. Get rid of him. Because all these people, all the current occupants enablers, they never see any wrong that this guy does. But as soon as the former president or anybody that speaks with any resemblance uh, that they have an education above the third grade level, anybody that says anything, it's bad. You're trashing the current president. You're, you're doing, you're acting classless. Who do you think you are? To, I mean, I wish it would just stop, man. All these people need to go away. November can't get here quick enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and to, to big piggyback on uh, what you said about Moscow Mitch or Yertle, <laughs> is the fact that, you know, the economy is stuck. And the Democrats uh, a couple days ago passed legislation to help out small business owners, to help out teachers, to help out state governments and to do testing. And um, the current occupant says that it's dead on arrival. Moscow Mitch says that we we can't do that. No, we we can't do that now because they're asking the, the Democrats are just asking for a wish list. You know, well, guess what, Mitch? The Democrats wish that the common man could get tax breaks like the rich folks. That's right. Democrats wish they had safety on their jobs. Yeah. A wish list is how about us paying Lex taxes? A wish list. Yes, it's a wish list. Wish we had the same opportunities to find the same jobs as the others. Wish list. Yes, it's a wish list. Wish that 
we have the opportunity to take care of our kids when they need to go to college. A wish list? Well, hell yeah, it's a wish list. How about increasing some of the Social Security? Wish list? How about this wish list? We wish that the richest people, which is 1%, had more tax break. They got billions of dollars. The average man wished they could have got billions of dollars. They only got a few cents. But right. it was too much money. To, it's too much money to spend. But when it's spent towards the wealthy, it's not. It's OK. I shouldn't say it's not OK. It's OK. Yeah, but yeah. now that the Democrats are saying, hey, we want to help other people out. It's a wish list. I've heard that they, they are they are good at talking points. They yeah. all stay yeah. on the same thing. Yeah. It's a wish list. It's not yeah. important. It's a wish list. Right. Yeah, they wish to be taken care of. They wish to be given the opportunities to right. do the right thing. They wish to be given opportunities. Right. They they wish to be treated like a a, a citizen of this country should be treated. And, and like you say, I, the average person, man, only wants a fair shot. And all these people, man, that are making these decisions are not making decisions that are going to benefit the overall citizens of this country who are not the one percent. They seem to have a problem with that. Yeah. And that's well, why people need to vote this fall. They need to vote all these despicable people out of office, starting with the current occupant. And I can name a lot more. We're talking about one of them now. But there's a lot of these people. They do not care about the average American citizen. They're worried about lining their pockets and they're worried about the pockets of their friends getting lined. But they're not worried about you, me, uh, your, your kids, my kids, my mom, my nieces, my nephew. They're not worried about poor people and people that are trying to make it day after day after day. They're not worried about them. So my advice to people, again, vote, vote, vote. We got to get rid of these people, man. The country is at the brink of going over the falls. Truly, it is at the brink of going over the falls. And we need some we need some positive direction, man, in this country. We have none. You know, it's it's sad. I'm going to go back to 1995 again that, you know, prior to that, you could have a conversation and get things done between political parties. They may have different ideologies, but they did what was best for the people. They And even the representatives and senators and whatnot, they could be on opposite sides in the afternoon and then later on go out and slap each other on the back and hang out and do things right. like that. It's not like that now. Nope. It's not like that now. They they only see they only see each other as adversaries. Yep. And a lot of that started then, yep. you know, and yep. the current occupant, he's only concerned. He I'm I'm going to say it this way and I'm I don't like to do this, but I'm going to say it. Republicans aren't happy unless they've got an enemy. Yep, I agree. Bottom line, they <clears throat> don't run on anything that's worth a damn. You know, they have to have an enemy. And yep. so in order, I, mean, I don't understand why they're so mad, you yeah. know, 
what the hell are they so mad? It's they have to have it. They have to have an enemy, a foiler. They have to have somebody in the black hat, you know, to make them feel good, I guess. I mean, I guess it goes back to what we're talking about before. Black hat, black guy. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. have to have you have to have an enemy. So yeah. when when the current occupant says that, well, we gotta get back to work because of you know, we're doing whatever. He's only looking out for himself. And then they're just going to jump on the bandwagon. You yeah. know, uh, uh, Obama comes out and says that what we got in the uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is a bunch of chaos when it comes towards the pandemic. And then the current occupant jumps on it. You know, we got a pandemic. Right. And then Moscow Mitch is going to jump right onto that. Right. Right. You know, so they have to have an enemy. And I don't want it to be that way, but that's the only thing that they have to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there, yeah. there, there's a, you know, they're running political commercials. There's a primary coming up in Indiana right now. And there's this one candidate. I'm not going to mention her name, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's it, the commercial, the political commercial goes like this. This lady who was born in the Soviet union. Okay. Has been uh, an upright conservative and she's going to go against the liberals trying to use the pandemic as as socialism to start socialism in the country. That's all they have to say. Mm. Instead of just saying, hey, vote for me. I'm a best candidate because I'm going to do blah, 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 blah. They have to have an enemy. You have to vote for me because I'm a conservative. I'm a pro-life conservative and I'm going to stop them liberals from using the pandemic pandemic to make this country into a socialist country to yeah. just throw out buzzwords yeah that's yeah. all they've got for them they have nothing and, it's, and mitch mcconnell is the same thing and they all lie the current occupant says well you know when we came in the pandemic we we didn't have anything the obama administration was horrible Hell, the Obama administration left them a playbook. This is what you should do. You should look for it. And because he was Obama, they threw the shit away. Yeah. Right. And then dumbass Moscow Mitch says, well, yeah, they they have nothing for it. There's no plans whatsoever. And then he goes, "Uh oh, oh, shit. I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, yeah, they had a playbook. Now, I don't know what happened to it. But, yeah, he had it, so he had to come back and put a little egg on his face, all right, because he knew that he was just following, follow, follow, follow uh, the current occupant and didn't, wasn't thinking about what the hell he was saying. And then he had to come back and go, well, yeah, you know, they had a playbook, but his excuse was, I don't know what they did to with the playbook. So and now he's trying to throw it back at the current occupant. You know, like uh, my hands are off of it. They're cowards, as you mentioned plenty of times. They are cowards. Yeah, Sorry. they're all cowards. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, they're all. Uh, we have to. We have to get out of politics. We have to find us a, a, a happy subject next week, man, because this is this gets me gets me too fired up, and it's hot it, in my closet. It, 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 it's 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 just I don't know, man. I, I knew this broadcast was gonna be fire, man, because it's <laughs> like black folks are catching hell, man. Black folks are catching hell. The country's in disarray. We we're, we're a rudderless ship. 
And uh, it's it's it days, man. It can be downright depressing. It's like, what the hell is going on, man? Yeah, yeah. Well, but we got to keep uh, enduring. We got to keep that spirit alive. That uh, every day is a challenge, and you got to meet that challenge. And uh, you know, keep keep moving forward, man. Keep moving forward. Yeah, so, we do. We do. Moving forward. So yeah, I like to I like to um, get a shout out. If you get a chance to go to PBS. Yeah. Uh, take a take a look at this series called Asian Americans. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned and, that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it 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 goes through, you know, the beginning part of Asians coming here and so on, and you know, the first time the United States ever had any um, immigration law was against Asians, right. and then for the, you know, it's it's a good series. Watch it. I've watched the first two episodes. Good. They're about an hour and a half long. They're, they're long, but they got some really informative information. And some of the same things that black folks are going through right now, Asian Americans are going through that as well. So that's a plug for that. Okay. And getting back to you know what you said, I know we're we're about 10 minutes over our normal time, but it's been a good conversation. You yeah. know, the same things that's happened in Indianapolis or Fort Collins or Colorado Springs same things kind of went on in our hometown. Yep. You know, there's there's not much difference with with the exception of how we grew up. You know, we didn't have a lot of this um, stuff like this that went on. Nope. You know, nope. because E-Town, I, I give E-Town this, you know, it's it was separated. We got different parts of the, the uh, community. But I think as a whole... E-Town as a community was pretty, pretty tight. Yeah. You know, um, there wasn't any of this, you know, like, like you said, somebody show up to your house and say, you know, do you live here or whatnot? (laughs) It's just that, I mean, we grew up with each other, you know, at least our generation, my older brother and your mom and, and, and dad uh, were a little bit different. They're younger than my mom or dad, but, um, yeah, we didn't have these issues no, like we, no. we got now. So, and we came together in so many common places, yeah. you know, around town. Whether it was school, the ball field, um, church, um, and again, we we again, my, most of the the white kids in my neighborhood, man, we they were just like us. We didn't have nothing. They didn't have nothing hardly. <laughs> So yep. we, it, it, there was no looking your nose down at people, man. We we all grew up the same way. And uh, that is one thing. And you've said it. We've said it before. That is one thing I'm grateful for, uh, for growing up in E-Town. It, it taught you uh, to, to, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. That's what I got out of one of the biggest things growing up in E-Town was treat people the way you want to be treated for the most right. part. I don't remember a lot of, you know, racial crap going on, man, uh, when we were growing up. There was a few instances here or there, but for the most part, we we, we grew up with each other. So right. it was good, man. It was all good. Right, right, right. All right, all right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up, brother. This has been too good. We could go on forever, but, you know, uh, that's how we roll on the Cross Tracks podcast. And uh, we'd just like to say, if you're out there and you're listening and you want to uh, uh, pass this information on or let let people know that this podcast is something that you would like to enjoy, we've gotten used to it. And I think we're just having an every weekly conversation that we're sharing with the world with. 
Absolutely. Two, two, uh, two guys from small town America. And occasionally we have some big, big views and big opinions, but we're small town <laughs> guys at heart. And so uh, check us out. Appreciate the support. And uh, until the next time, we're out. And this has been Across the Tracks. Across the Tracks. Chiliamo Dopo. Sayonara. Sayonara.